1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our Arbitral Insights podcast series. I'm delighted today to be doing this special episode with Kausar Zaman. Kausar is someone who I've been longing to bring on to this podcast series because he embodies so much about what this podcast series highlights, but also this podcast is also being published as part of our celebration of 2023 South Asian Heritage Month. Kausa is someone who epitomises the very best of what South Asian Heritage Month stands for and who people of a South Asian heritage are and what they aspire to be. So it's an absolute delight to be speaking to you, Kausa. I will give you a quick introduction to those of you who don't know you. You are someone who I believe needs very little introduction, but I'm going to give one briefly, if I may, to our listeners. Kalsa is a barrister at Number Five Barristers Chambers in London. Uh, he covers a broad range of work, from sports arbitration to to employment and discrimination law and to commercial law. He's a very passionate ambassador for social mobility and has a very inspirational story to tell in that respect, which we will inevitably talk about prominently in this podcast. He is as of the last couple of years, first person of British Bangladeshi heritage to become, to be elected, I should say, an alderman of the City of London, and also the youngest, which is another accolade which um, must not be forgotten, and is another reason of many why I particularly admire Kausa and what he stands for. So I will look forward to speaking to you in the course of this podcast, but a very warm welcome to you, Kausa.
0: Thank you very much, Gautam. It's a real privilege uh, and an honor to join you and listeners of uh, Reed Smith's uh, podcast, particularly for uh, South Asian uh, Heritage Month. So very much looking forward to have the conversation with you and your listeners.
1: Thank you. One of the things that I mentioned uh, in the opening, uh, as you will have heard, Karsai, is that you're a very passionate ambassador and a very prominent one for social mobility and the importance of giving opportunities to people who would ordinarily not have them or who might miss out on those opportunities. And I just wonder whether you could share a bit about your life story that brought you to what you're doing now, because I know the story. It's an incredibly uplifting, powerful, and emotional one. And I wonder if you would do us the honor of just sharing a bit about how life began for you in Tower Hamlets and move forward to where you are now.
0: Yes, uh, of course. Look, uh, as you say, I'm a huge uh, advocate uh, of social mobility, whether that's in law or as an elected representative in the city. And and that's because of my own journey of uh, where I've come from to where I've got to. I grew up in uh, Tower Hamlets in Bethnal Green, which as many people uh, will know, um, is a part of East London where uh, we have lots of challenges, deprivation, uh, etc. In fact, Tower Hamlets is the borough with the highest rates of child poverty in the entire UK. So I grew up grew up in a council estate. My my parents uh, first emigrated from Bangladesh to Tower Hamlets in Brick Lane in the 1970s. And I'm the youngest of seven siblings. Um, I hasten to add I'm a twin brother. So there's two of us. When we were uh, growing up in the seventies, or uh, well, my parents and my siblings, seventies, eighties, we, we struggled a lot as a family because my parents were not professionals. My father worked at a tailor shop in in, in Brick Lane. My mother's always spent her time raising seven of us. My father very sadly passed away when I was just twelve, so a lot of the hard work in terms of raising seven of us was on my mother's shoulders. And as I say, she wasn't working. We are raised entirely on state benefits. So raising seven kids in very difficult financial circumstances in a poor part of London wasn't easy, but that was a transformative or informative experience for me because uh, I grew up in those conditions. I remember days where m- my, my siblings, for example, the siblings work as security guards who worked uh, night shifts at law firms, incidentally, two law firms where I uh, ended up working at And uh, seeing uh, their lifestyle and their experiences gave me a lot of impetus to champion social mobility. So I grew up in difficult circumstances, but one thing my mother really instilled in me was the importance of hard work and education. So I worked incredibly hard, got to the LSE, London School of Economics, where I read law, and then Oxford and then Harvard, um, a law school in the US, all on full scholarship. So I've gone as I often say, I've gone from one extreme in life to another. And I, I'm i acutely aware that's not just simply because of my hard work, but also a lot of luck. I'm afraid we live in a world and society where uh, who you meet, your contacts are, are, are equally as important as your credentials. So, so so that's my uh, background in short.
1: As I said, I mean, I know you've given us the abridged version there, Khalsa, but like mm-hmm. I said, and, uh, and I sincerely mean this, it's, a, it's an incredible story. It's a very powerful one. And it's one that I really believe uh, is so inspirational to so many people, because there'll be many people just like you who haven't had a great deal, but who've moved through and done what they've done through the love of their parents, the inspiration of their parents, the faith in God and also luck as you say and mentors along the way who've inspired you and i wonder whether we could turn to that next mm-hmm. as as our next area for discussion because you know i've long been an admirer of you kasar and uh, and i've read a fair bit that uh, you've written in the past you've mentioned that uh, amongst others you've had three if you like primary mentors in your career, and I'm sure there may be others too. But you've made mention to Mrs Justice Achima Grubb, who was, uh, I believe, one of your pupil masters when you were doing a mini pupillage many years ago. Uh, Jonathan Laidlaw Casey and Helen Law, uh, and I wonder whether you could share with our listeners a little bit about what each of those fantastic individuals did for you, and and how they were able to shape you and motivate you to achieve what you've gone on to achieve.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Look, as I said earlier, um, because I, I've had no experience in the law, um, that's something I knew I was always uh, interested in just because of the environment I grew up in with lots of um, police involvement, etc. cetera. So um, when I was at uh, college, and um, this was City and Sixth Form uh, College in Angel. I applied for a mini pupillage via what was what's still called the Social Mobility Foundation. So it's a brilliant organization that matches uh, young people from deprived communities, disadvantaged communities into uh, law firms and, and chambers. So I, I applied for that scheme uh, to do a mini pupillage and I was very luckily now it's certainly in hindsight. Uh, attached to Two Hair Court, which is a criminal set, and as part of that, I, I shadowed uh, two uh, barristers at the time, uh, Bobby Chima uh, uh, QC at the time, and Jonathan Laidlaw QC. And when I was shadowing them, that was the first time I they, they're based in the Old Bailey. That was the first time I'd ever set foot in a courtroom. And during that one week where I was shadowing them, in at the the time, it was a very uh, major honour killing case. You might recall the honour killing case of Banaz Mahmood, which was all over the press at the time. Yes, uh, And I shadowed them uh, at the Old Bailey and they were incredible in terms of the way they dealt with me. And I always remember one thing uh, Johnny, Johnny Laidlaw uh, told me that they both asked me to draft a, a closing speech for one of the hearings uh, as, as a trial run. And I did it very well. And they were so impressed by it. And one of the things Johnny Laidlaw said to me is, look, I'm send- sending my kids to private school, boarding school, but you're, you're a lot brighter than them. Casa. Uh, you could go to Oxbridge why don't you aim for the highest and just for someone of his standing who was uh, head of chambers to say something like that I still remember it because it gave me a lot of confidence it said to me look if someone of that standing can have that much confidence in me then I must be doing something right I've got some sort of skill and, uh, and ability so that was quite a transformative experience for me. And uh, Bobby Chimo, of course, has gone on to become a High Court judge. She was, in fact, uh, in 2015 appointed as Britain's first. Female South Asian judge uh, uh, Johnny Laidlaw's head of chambers. So these are really inspirational figures. Helen Law was another uh, figure. She's a barrister at Matrix Chambers. Um, we she used to be a mentor through another uh, scheme where I used to email her uh, and she would respond back. And I always remember I used to ask her one sentence questions about things uh, to do with the law, bar, and uh, city law firms, and she she would send she would respond with like three four pages of responses so she was incredibly helpful so those three individuals were absolutely pivotal in where i've got to today because i often say it's really easy to back people and support people when things are going well when you look at people and uh, you can see that they're heading somewhere but at that time my stock was low i had nothing behind me but they backed me at that time so they're very very inspirational at people and i'm still in touch with all three
1: thank you and we're all the product of people who've inspired us and mentored mm. us. And you know, that, again, is very powerful to hear uh, mm. because sometimes we need those conversations mm. Uh, mm. and they mean a lot. They give us motivation. They drive us forward. And the power of mentorship is something that you've benefited from, I've benefited from, so many of mm. our yes. listeners mm. will have benefited from. But now you're also yourself a mentor, aren't you? Mm. Of course. Of so, course. Tell us a little bit about what you do in mentoring young, aspiring lawyers, even non-lawyers. Tell us a little bit about what you do and the impact that that has on you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Look, I'm part of lots of organisations uh, because I'm, I'm very passionate about social mobility. Um, one of the organisations I'm part of is something called One Million Mentors, where it's an uh, it's a scheme run by our local MP in, in Bethnal Green, Rushnana Ali, to effectively develop one million mentors for one million disadvantaged um, uh, kids, not only in London but across our United Kingdom. Uh, so I mentor lots and lots of uh, young people, particularly those who want to go into law many who reach out to me in fact via lots of social media platforms because they see all the work i do and i always maybe i shouldn't say this too loudly but i always respond to requests uh, to me irrespective of how busy i am i mean just to give you an example last last saturday i met two two young people who reached out to me via linkedin at the guildhall on a saturday morning between 9 and 11 o'clock and the reason why is because i always remember my own experiences of being helped uh, by people and how it had an impact uh, to give you another example, just three days ago, I met someone at the Foreign Office who 's quite senior in the Foreign Office, and he reached out to me he 's quite senior now, but he said, "I remember you know ten years ago you came and gave us a, a, a discussion uh, about how to behave in the workplace when you 're a junior lawyer and I always remembered it and he reached out to me so um, mentoring is really, really important because particularly for the uh, for the kids, I often say I, I mentor they, they rarely come across people um, who've managed to go through the institution. I, institutions I've been to, law firms, the bar, and the wide spectrum of experiences I've had. And I always make an effort to try and give back and share that knowledge because my mantra is if I don't share that, then who will? And everyone deserves a chance.
1: They certainly do. And you do incredible mentorship. I know that. And. I know the importance of responding. You know, that thing mm. you just said there, Khalsa, about responding to people mm. and reaching out, and making time for them. I know exactly what you mean because, mm. um, mm. yeah, that's something I'm very familiar with too. And mm. it, it has impact. It really does. So thank you very much for everything you do in that respect. Now, you've got a very interesting practice as a barrister. Uh, as I mentioned in opening, you do some incredibly interesting things which range, as I mentioned, from sports arbitration to employment discrimination law and to commercial law. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about, because you've obviously done, you had a foot in both camps, so to speak. You Mm. did your mini pupillages Mm. and you were inspired by barristers, but you also worked in a couple of law firms. So you worked at Clifford Chance Mm. and Alan Overy. So what made you want to be a barrister rather than a solicitor?
0: Yeah. If I, uh, good time, if I banked a pound for every time someone's asked me that question, I'd, I'd certainly be a billionaire. I'm sure
2: you
0: would. Look, I was very fortunate in that I graduated with a top first at the LSE. So I had lots of law firms uh, approaching me in fact for training contracts. And I got a training contract offer at the same time I, as I got a pupillage offer. And one of the things I did at that time was to go back to my uh, chambers and say, look, I've got this amazing opportunity to do a training contract at Clifford Chance Magic Circle Law Firm. But I want to come to the bar. And they were incredible about it in that they said, look, go and do your city law experience, because that will be invaluable for you when you become a barrister. And they said to me, the bar is the most unages profession out there. So come come to us later and we'll hold and defer your pupillage place for you. So in the end, I managed to defer it for about uh, five or six years, which is quite an unprecedented thing, for any chambers to do because I ended up doing a couple of masters after my after being at the LSE. So uh, I started off at Clifford Chance, and uh, uh, which was my training contract. And then uh, on qualification, I moved to Overy, where I specialised in uh, FSREG law. I left um, after two years, so not on an ex- extremely qualified solicitor at that point. Uh, but my goal was always to come to the bar. And at the bar, I specialize, uh, I say, mainly uh, three broad areas. So one of which encompasses uh, employment law, which is a fairly large chunk of work I do, which is a fascinating area because I represent lots of companies, respondents, etc. And you get great insight into um, the work they do. And a lot of my cases, in fact, involve discrimination cases. And it really does, um, as an aside, it really does put into perspective that um, although we live in a world where there's a lot of consciousness about diversity inclusion etc i mean some of the discrimination cases i come across really shock me just because of the comments some staff made companies there's lots of policies and procedure but when i cross-examine people in the, in the tribunal tribunal etc you realize having a policy is one thing having a cultural change in a firm place etc is a completely different thing so i do lots of employment work i also do regulatory work which is mainly professional disciplines. So, representing uh, registered uh, professionals before professional misconduct panels. So, that's doctors, dentists, sports uh, professionals, etc. Uh, before their regulatory bodies. In the sports context, it takes the form of arbitration in other uh, jurisdictions like the, uh, the GMC, GDC, their public hearings, etc. So, that's a really fascinating area of work because i often see the worst end of the profession and and as an aside given its uh, south heritage south asian heritage month uh, there's lots of data out there that uh, suggests and it's backed up by lots of data that uh, if you're a minority uh, lawyer doctor dentist nurse osteopath you're far more likely to be hauled before your regulatory profession uh, for things uh, that if you're from a non-minority background you might not be hauled before your regulatory um, practice so there's lots of work that needs to happen but as I say I I see the forefront of it because I often represent registrants and the third area I do a lot of work in is public law which entails judicial review uh, mainly in my uh, field around the education uh, field so there's a good tie in between my employment and education work so um, i often say i love our variety so I, I did lots of city law work which was in fs reg i did arbitration banking and now i, I do three very broad areas so i love the variety and, and there's no better place to do a variety of work than at the bar because you know after this podcast, for example, I've got a hearing in the Employment Tribunal this afternoon, and then next week um, I've got a, a GDC hearing. So the variety is brilliant.
1: No, thank you, and and I'm even more grateful that you've taken time out from your busy schedule to do this podcast, given that uh, you've got hearings coming up, which I know you're going to be brilliant at. Yeah. Anyway. You're, it, you're going to knock them down. I
0: mean, it, it usually means lots of late nights and early mornings. I'm afraid. Which I, might- which
1: my wife isn't too pleased about, but it is what it is. Yeah, I know it's one of the professional hazards. I yeah. I know I've been there many a time too. I know what it's like. Uh-huh. You know, two of my um, over the course, I'll just share this quickly with you. Over the years, two of my greatest influences, uh, who are outside of this list, profession, have been Lord Justice Singh at that time, Rabindra Singh, a QC, and and you know he's incredible. Uh, he's a huge inspiration. And someone I admire hugely, and also another dear friend of mine who used to be a, a chambers mate of Rabindra Singh, uh, Anthony White KC. They over the years have given have said a number of in, incredible things. And one of the things that um, Lord Justice Singh said to to uh, a number of us, he said, "If you want to succeed, you can't be a clock watcher," which is absolutely correct. And the second thing that Anthony White uh, said many years ago was, "There's only one acceptable standard." And mm. that just means you've got to work hard at it. So what you say resonates yeah, yeah, very much with, with everyone on this uh, podcast. Now, as I mentioned, Kasa, um, at the beginning, this podcast is also being published to celebrate South Asian Heritage Month. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's something where you and I have so much in common. And there'll be many listeners, uh, on this, of this podcast who are, who, who are also of South Asian heritage. And of course, a number of countries make up. South Asia for this purpose, but one of the things that I wanted to ask you was what does South Asian Heritage Month mean to you on a personal level? If you could share your thoughts on that, that that would be really, really good.
0: For me, uh, South Asian Heritage Month is absolutely vital. Um, I am, as you might know, a Bangladeshi by background. I often describe myself as a British Bangladeshi. And that culture, that history um, that our respective nations have and the culture and history which our parents have uh, brought us up in is really a fundamental part of who I am as an individual. Um We can all choose our friends, we can choose the, uh, the firms, the companies we choose to work, but we can't choose our skin color, we can't choose... Uh, the culture and the history and our family lineage that we've all been brought up in. So it's absolutely vital and uh, an indispensable part of me. And I love it. And I absolutely celebrate it, um, whether it's at the bar as a practicing barrister or as an elected official, as an alderman in the city of London, because I think one of the things that makes not only our great capital city, but how United Kingdom so brilliant to live and work in is, is really the celebration of that diversity. We have uh, the nation's number one dish is uh, Indian food, but I often hasten to qualify that by saying most of the Indian restaurants <laughs> in are actually run by Bangladeshis. That's true. <laughs> so, um, so, so that culture and that history that we have is absolutely in, indispensable and I think it's great that we celebrate it, but we could do a lot more to celebrate a lot more because we've got in this country, I think the last census showed nearly four or five million uh, people from uh, South Asian uh, backgrounds. And uh, we, we, we make a sizable portion of the population. If you go to any hospital, any NHS uh, practice, you'll see the extraordinary influence we've had in uh, things like the NHS, public services, etc. So it's really important uh, part of it. And I'm delighted For example, to be doing this podcast to celebrate South Asian uh, Heritage Month.
1: Thank you, Khalsa. I want to turn next to the fact that you are now, you hold an elected office, a public office, as an alderman of the City of London. You know, that was pursuant to an election, and you happily, I'm very delighted to say, won that. I think you've got a significant term length. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's over five years, isn't it, your term? Six years, in fact. Six years. Six years. Sorry, yeah, sorry. Six years. Yeah. Now, you're partway into your term and you're doing a lot of great things. And I would urge all our listeners to this podcast to look out for Kausa's various posts that he puts out uh, because he does so much to champion London, what London does, what people do, the diversity of London in all areas of a life, not just the law. But one question I wanted to ask you, Carson, was what inspired you to want to take on the alderman role and to run for that office?
0: Yes. So, as I mentioned, I was a lawyer at Allen and Overy, based in uh, Bishopsgate, uh, working in financial services um, regulation. So. Promoting the FPS sector, as we call it in the city, the professional and financial services sector, as a, as a lawyer myself, has always been part of my DNA um, and working in the city. I've really enjoyed it. I mean, m- my engagement with the Corporation of London Square Mile before was literally just taking a bus from Bethnal Green, number eight, going through the city into college and sitting in college. I had no real experience of the city other than taking a bus uh, through the city, no family experience of it until I became a lawyer. And that's when I realized through some of the networks in the city that there was a corporation of London that represents the interests of the city. Uh, It's very unique because unlike any other local authority, we also have a government mandated dual role as ambassadors for the professional and financial services sector in the UK. So the Lord Mayor, Court of Aldermen, the uh, policy chairman of the corporation, travel for nearly a third of the year, promoting UK FBS sector. So I found found out about that. And there was an election going in in Bishopsgate, which is one of the wards within the square mile. And just to put into perspective, the seniority of the role, my predecessor was Baroness Scotland, the Secretary General of the Commonwealth. So very, very senior uh, city uh, uh, figures uh, usually stand for election. Now, I was very lucky that I had uh, a few mentors who really encouraged me to stand. They said, look how you've got all the credentials, you've got the energy, uh, people will like you. So I stood uh, for public office. This was uh, last September and Uh, I know you're one of my constituents uh, in Bishopsgate, but you all know the way in which uh, city elections work. It's unlike any other in the United Kingdom because we don't have many residents in the city. So we've only got 9000 residents uh, vis-a-vis nearly half a million workers who come in and out. So unlike any other constituency, businesses in the square mile get a vote. So you get uh, allocated a number of votes depending on the number of employees a firm has. And then that firm decides who their voters are. So these elections are very, very competitive. They're usually very senior people who sit in you know, law firms like yours, banks, financial institutions. I've got UBS in Bishopsgate, one of the largest financial institutions in the world, um, who vote for you. So it was no mean feat. It was lots of coffees, dinners, lunches, I'm afraid, three months before the election. But I was really, really pleased and encouraged, in fact, that I was elected because I went up against a very, very senior city figure. Um, I don't think many people expected me uh, to win uh, against the candidate who was uh, standing, but I'm one of the things it showed actually my election uh, shows was uh, the city's changing. I'm the first British Bangladeshi ever in our 700 year history to be elected. I'm the youngest. In, in 700 years uh, to be elected. And I think that's a really positive thing because the city of London, the square miles workforce, 60% is between the ages of 18 and 35. More than 60% of the workforce within the square mile is European. And more than uh, 60% of the city's uh, workforce uh, come from uh, outside of Europe. So we've got a hugely diverse uh, square mile. And Certainly when I was standing for election, I didn't see that diversity reflected within the elected officials of the corporation. So I went for it and I was absolutely delighted and, and, um, and now very proud to be an elected alderman representing the square mile, not only within the UK, but across the world.
1: Thank you. It, it really is great. And um, I know you might not believe me, but I knew you'd be elected. I knew you yeah. you were the outstanding candidate. <laughs> let Let Thank me tell you. you. And, you know, you're doing a wonderful job, as I said. Now, you've been very generous with your time in this podcast, Kalsa, but we always end our podcasts with a very popular segment, which is where we ask our guests a few more lighthearted things. And uh, this podcast is no exception. I'm going to be doing exactly what I do in other podcasts here to you, Kalsa. So the first thing is, what's your favorite sort of music? So is there a favorite band or singer that you've got? um generally pop and r&b
0: um i listen to whatever's in the chart so i'm very open i love going on uh, long drives with music so that's 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 usually my scene
1: fantastic and what about uh, films are there any certain films you like is there one particular film you really really love
0: ah uh, we're gonna go back in history a bit now but i'm a huge uh fan and it's it, i mean i think i I've I've watched this film more than any other film. Um, I think it's a thousand times plus. But Home Alone, when I was gr- growing up, uh, my twin brother and I would would watch religiously Home Alone almost once a week. Um, and it's a tradition we we still uh, carry. It's usually around Christmas, but we end up watching it during during the year as well. So uh, that's a film that uh, I think I've watched more than any other film. Fantastic
1: it's a classic film as well yeah. It's, um, yeah especially when you realize that this young boy against all the odds defeats everybody yeah. i think there's a Absolutely. message in that somewhere Castle. yeah right? yeah yeah um, <laughs> and uh, uh <laughs> the last thing is in terms of travel is there a particular place that you just love going to
0: yeah. Look, I love absolutely traveling. I, I absolutely love traveling. I've been to more than 50 countries in the world. I've I've always traveled. The part I've most enjoyed traveling is Southeast Asia, so Thailand, uh, Singapore. Um, I love traveling in Malaysia, Indonesia. The food's amazing. Um, but any excuse I have to travel, I travel. Although um, when I was traveling, I was a poor student and now I'm an employed uh, lawyer. I don't get enough time to travel, but um I try and travel, but Southeast Asia is probably the part of the world I love travelling in.
1: Superb, I uh, know great choices. Akasa, I've really enjoyed this conversation with you. Thank you very much for taking the time to do this with us. This podcast will be really, really powerful for all the listeners who will be downloading it and hearing about it and talking about it. You're a great credit to your family to your mum and dad, to your siblings, to the community, to the South Asian community and the broader community. And let me just say that for the record. I admire you hugely. I have a lot of immense regard for you and for what you're doing and for what you stand for. And I just want to encourage you more and more to keep on doing what you're doing and keep raising the bar because you are raising the bar for people of South Asian heritage and uh, it's inspiring it's meaningful it's powerful and i want you to know that when i was growing up you know in the 70s and 80s because i am older i'm significantly older than you there weren't many people who you could look up to and inspire you from my background now it's changed now thankfully and you are there to really inspire so many that'll come after you so i i, I just want to end this podcast by paying that tribute to you and to keep on encouraging you to do what you do thank you very much it means
0: a lot thank you
1: and, and i'll see you soon no doubt as one of your constituents
2: i'll be seeing you yes. soon so thank you again good luck at your hearings
1: later on today thank you. Thank, okay. you thank you bye-bye
2: now arbitral insights is a reed smith production our producer is ali Mcardle. for more information about reed smith's global international arbitration practice email arbitral insights at readsmith.com. To learn about the Reed Smith Arbitration Pricing Calculator, a first-of-its-kind mobile app that forecasts the costs of arbitration around the world, search Arbitration Pricing Calculator on ReedSmith.com or download for free through the Apple and Google Play app stores. You can find our podcasts on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, ReedSmith.com, and our social media accounts at LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.